Hi, welcome back to the One Take Wonder podcast with the Hot Weird Girl. I'm the Hot Weird Girl in question, and you can find me on almost every social media platform. That's YouTube, TikTok, Instagram, and of course, Twitter, which turns out I didn't get a divorce from yet. Um, I love hearing feedback from you guys, and I also love when you rate this podcast a five stars and specifically when you leave a written review on Apple Podcasts. It really, really helps with the metrics. It helps this podcast grow. So if you could just take five seconds while you're listening or afterwards just to rate this podcast, it would mean so much to me. Without further ado, well, I guess I should give you an update on the apartment. I did find a new apartment. Where did we leave off in that story? Did I tell you about the gas leak? I think I did. I did find a new apartment. It is going well so far. The washer and dryer and some of the windows were messed up and I moved in. And then maintenance fixed it as soon as I called, like within 30 minutes. Very serendipitous. Um, You know, so we'll see. Like I said, every landlord who fucks with me shall perish. Um... But that is a story for last week's episode. Moving on to bigger and better. So by far the most requested content that people have asked me to make is talking about my law school experience. Um, One of my closest friends, who I actually am looking through my photos from her wedding, so everyone say congrats to her, you know, send her psychic congrats. But she wanted to know my experience of being a Black woman in a conservative law school It's probably going to take more than one episode to unpack that, but to really just set the scene, you have to know two things. First, that I was a law school student from fall of 2019 till spring of 2022, which you can guess what major world event happened between then, and two, that in my second to last semester, a white classmate of mine who considered himself my friend, I did not think that we were friends and I told him this often, he did not understand boundaries, Um, turned to me and said, yeah, when I first came to blank, I was really nervous because there were a lot more black people than I was used to in our class. There were 13 black people out of, I think, 113 off the top of my head, maybe closer to 116 in my class. And that quote scared him. So if that's not a really good representation of what going there was like, I don't know what else is. So to explain this story, I really need to explain law school to you as a concept. In America, you attend law school for three years after completing your bachelor's degree. Typically in your senior year, if you go straight from undergrad to law school, you'll apply in your senior year of college. And then you typically get admitted anywhere between the fall of your senior year to the spring to then matriculate and attend in the fall of that upcoming year. Law school, like any other graduate program, takes people who are used to being high academic achievers, typically all of their life, and then pits them against each other. Law school is a very hyper competitive environment because of something called the curve. Now, some schools are doing away with the curve, and there is some, I guess, academic discourse about whether or not the curve is useful, but the institution that I attended still very much implemented the curve. And the curve basically artificially inflates how many people can get A's, B's, with the majority of people 
getting between, oh, wow, I really should text my favorite legal eagle about this because she knew the numbers specifically. But I think the average grade being like a B minus or a C. And again, keep in mind, this is a group of people who in order to get into law school, no matter how high or lowly ranked the institution was, you have to have really good grades and extracurriculars. Like in college, I was very involved with multiple organizations. Um, I had pretty good grades my second semester senior year, I might have slacked off a little bit, but I had pretty good grades. I was very involved and I had a really good writing statement and very strong recommendations from two professors that I had a really close relationship with. And then you come into this environment where let's say there's 60 people in your section. Tip In my law school, there were two sections. So, so there was section one and section two. I was a section one girly and there were about 63 people. And of that 63, about 10 or so could get an A per class. Also, the grade of the class isn't really determined by like homework class participation. About 90% of the course was determined by your grade on the final exam, which was an accumulation of everything you've learned that semester. Some courses had a graded midterm, some courses had an ungraded midterm. And as you moved through, you know, your second and third year, sometimes you could write papers instead of taking a final exam. But for all intents and purposes, understand that like your grade is weighted on this one exam that you take in a span of like 10 days with all your other exams. I think my first semester of law school, I was taking about five classes, four to five classes. And it's all against your peers who are just as smart, studying just as hard. Um, And again, only 10 of you can get an A. So it's very, very stressful, very nerve wracking. And that in itself, I think already puts people in a weird mentality. Like when I was in law school, one of my mentors who's a judge, I was venting to him about the fact that I found everyone kind of weird and off-putting, an opinion that I would maintain throughout all three years. And we'll get into that. And he was like, you know, you can't judge people too harshly because you are in a very hyper stressful and artificially stressful um environment me artificially meaning that the law school institution themselves set this policy to sort of put everyone on edge so that is like a really good framework for you're surrounded by a bunch of smart very talented people who all you know tended to get in on their own merit and you're all going in with an understanding that you have to be pitted against each other within this Um, what makes you a minority in the legal community isn't really about your skin tone. That's just so that organizations and firms can get away with just not hiring like actual visibly racially different minorities separate for, or that's a topic for a separate podcast. But the fact that you enter law school with no other lawyers in your profession already puts you on the outs. Most of my classmates had parents or aunts or uncles who are in the legal profession. Now, I will say that I don't claim to have part of that like first generation legal experience simply because my dad does have a PhD, as does my grandpa, as do most of my aunts and uncles on my dad's side, and that my mom and my stepmom have achieved um, in many levels of higher education as well. So it wasn't like I was coming into this experience with 
you know, no one who had gone through not just undergraduate, but then graduate level programs. But when it came to the practice of law itself, I didn't really have any family connections, something that still kind of puts you at a disadvantage. Just because if you think nepotism is Hollywood is crazy, um, understand how crazy it is to have an uncle run one of the biggest law firms in Pittsburgh and oops, you accidentally get selected for a clerkship. Speaking of clerkships, that's another thing that a lot of law students were typically competing for, specifically spots at big law firms. Now, big law is a specific practice of law. Well, I guess not a specific practice, but it more so refers to firms that I have, I think, what, over like 100, 200 employees. Um, They have diverse practice groups, and they're typically the law firms that you see in the news. So when law firms are going to the Supreme Court, when they're handling these multi-billion, multi-million dollar cases, um, it's usually big law, and it's a very prestigious area of the law to practice in simply because, you know, you have to be the best of the best, the best grades. You have to be on something called law review, which is a self- or students publish um, this journal of like legal articles. And typically it helps to be on something called moot court, which is what I was on, which is essentially, I don't know how to explain this to non-law school people. You get a hypothetical question and then you have to write appellate briefs and also engage in oral advocacy, which I really loved because I love oral advocacy because if the fact that I have a podcast doesn't tip you off, I never really stop talking. Um, I was never a specific part of this competition just because I understood from my high school days that big law probably wasn't something for me. The pay is astronomical and wonderful, but it also involves a huge time commitment that after shadowing at one of the biggest law firms in Pittsburgh, because I was in high school when I did this, and then shadowing some smaller practitioners, I realized that I just kind of like liked the lifestyle and flow. I also my ideal practice of law, at least when I was entering law school, was to definitely work at like a general practice, more so integrated in my community. And I really don't mean this in a way to shade people in big law, because sometimes people who didn't actually make the cut into big law will describe big law to non-legal people with like a shady or a cunty tone. And when you hear that, just know they're mad they didn't make it this is no shade. People have what works for them. Um, I have a brilliant friend who would never like what I do or want my career goals to be because she's totally made to become a partner in a big law firm. And I think that's awesome. I just, I know what works for my personality. So in that sense, I did feel removed from the the grind of like, you know, where are you going to clerk this summer? And I feel all this pressure this summer just because when you know that you want to work at a smaller law firm, not that your path is easier, but there is a lot less pressure and it does remove you from like that clerkship competition. So that's just to add another layer that I forgot to add a few minutes ago of what this very hyper competitive pressure cooker environment is like. And this environment is ultra, ultra white. Um, 2% of the legal profession is made up by black women. One thing that I want to note in particular in that of the black people in the legal field, very, very few are African-American, something I only distinguish because when you look at how many people actually descended from the enslaved of this country, people who were tortured and maimed and whose blood soaks the ground 
of the American soil, very few of their descendants actually make it into the practice of law. Like sometimes even at a Black Legal Scholars Conference, within a conference to elevate minorities, I'm still a minority in the fact that both sides of my family, my dad is Louisiana Creole and my mom's from Mississippi, um, were victims of American slavery. And so that is definitely a separate podcast topic. Sorry, I keep saying that today. But so that in itself can be jarring and frustrating. Um, But when you look at the type of white people who go to law school, very, very affluent. Like I sat next to a girl in law school who would regularly go on like six, maybe not six, like five figure shopping sprees while she was supposed to be paying attention in our civil procedure lecture. Like she would just like buy Louis, Lueve, whatever. Like it was, and she was doing this every class on her parents' dime. It, so it was insane to see that level of like astronomical wealth. And then with that wealth comes like country club connections. And then it's like, oh, okay, I don't have any of this. And it was something that was very deeply felt by me and my other black peers because even if we might have come from suburban um more privileged backgrounds ourselves that really pales in comparison to someone whose family has been practicing law since this country was founded and who have founded some of the most prestigious law schools in our area in the first place I didn't join the committee because it was very obvious to me, at least from the beginning, that this was an effort to quell um, the questioning voices of some of their white student body who were beginning to question, you know, why there were so few groups other than whites represented at our institution, even when you consider the already very small number of minority involvement in the practice of law, again, our institution was still smaller than most or had smaller numbers than most. Um, I didn't think it was effective. And unfortunately, I have to report that at least at my time of graduating, I think the committee had stopped meeting. So between 2020 and 2022, it had already fallen by the wayside. And I believe it's no longer a priority. I can say that some professors attempted to have racial conversations very candidly. Like I had a wonderful torts professor who, when we were going through the case law and we came to case law from Montana, was very quick to point out the way that the text referred to indigenous people, particularly referring to them as lazy, slovenly drunks. And then we had a whole conversation about how the law is very much informed by you know, man's racist opinions. I did have a civ pro professor who, whenever we were talking um, about civil procedure, particularly as it pertained to like federal civil procedure and criminal proceedings, who was quick to talk about the over-policing of Black people, that was actually the same professor who was on that um, aforementioned committee. And then I also had professors who, during a corporation class, let classmates go off on racist tangents about the fact that if Black people were to ever make partner, it was just because all the other white partners felt bad for them. This is actually a direct quote, and that we should stop giving those people things that they didn't work for without ever once interrupting them. And then when some people tried to approach the professor because his TA was Black, 
um, and say like, you know, how could you foster this type of environment? Instead of issuing any sort of apology to the class, he just emailed the minority students individually, which if we're going to allow the disrespect to be public, why would you make the apology private? Um, and it was simply because he didn't want to ripple waves. I had another professor who when teaching criminal law, maybe didn't ever think critically um, about the cases we were reading or try to present them in any sort of context, which is why we ended up having these odd discussions where classmates would feel comfortable raising their hands and um, saying like, well, those people are just more prone to crime. And then he would just be like, um, no, I don't think that's true, but moving along. And this really sort of pales in comparison to just like the outright racist experiences that people experienced at that institution see the beginning of the story where was I going with this? Because I don't just want this to be a big trauma dump. I think there were two ways that minorities at the school tended to handle this. The first was by imposter syndrome, um, or you could have Alexia syndrome, which is you made it here based off of nepotism. I made it here off of pure skill we are not the same. Like I firmly and 100% believe after attending God knows how many diversity conferences and how many like well-meaning white women usually would come up to me and be like, but don't you have imposter syndrome? Do you want me to have imposter syndrome? Because I actually feel very, very qualified that I deserve to be here. Um, I got a full tuition scholarship to law school. I did well, save for the semester that I was severely concussed. Please see the concussed femininity episode. And while I was never like the top of my class, I did well for myself. And I was proud of how I finished my law school career out. So it was always jarring to see how many people wanted me to feel that intimidation. And that's what I said a few moments ago about it was something deeply felt by the students. A lot of people would openly tell me um, to my face or to my other Black friends' faces that they felt like we should feel some sort of way about being here, that I should feel uncomfortable when surrounded by classmates who come from these very storied legal traditions because you don't have that and not just that we think we're better than you, but we want you to visibly talk about your experience with vulnerability. It got to the point where I actually forced my other cohorts to no matter what situation we were in to never talk about how vulnerable they might have been feeling because I just got the distinct impression, and I still get that impression, that our classmates around us were feeding off of it so that they could assuage themselves. Because the other thing that they tried to convince themselves is that we got in via affirmative action, which that is a laugh out loud joke. First of all, there were so few minorities at the institution that I went to specifically that when a review was performed um, every couple of years, the body that governs American law schools performs review at each school. And they actually specifically highlighted how poor the diversity at my institution was. Um, something that I think was a deliberate choice about the administration. And while I have almost nothing positive to say about where I went to school, simply not just bashing them because I don't um, want my job to be Googleable. You know, internet safety sort of stuff. 
But so there was a very severe and in my opinion, as I voiced the administration, strategic lack of diversity, which I think helped keep the donors and other students comfortable. And this really became apparent to me in the summer of 2020. The murder of George Floyd set off a spark, I think, mostly because people were at home during the pandemic and they actually had the time to pay attention and care. Um, But it set off a spark where people were talking about Breonna Taylor's murder, who were talking about other forms of injustice that spread beyond police brutality and the penalization of Blackness in the American criminal justice system in America. And it was so poorly handled by my school that if I hadn't been going there for free, I would have transferred. Just know that I literally sat down and calculated how much debt I would be willing to go into just to get away from this institution, calculated that it wasn't worth it, said that I was literally going to graduate, have nothing to do with them. Not only would they not get a dime, but I would never serve as any sort of ambassador referral service. Nada. They get nothing from me. Um, In the wake of George Floyd's murder, when every institution was scrambling over themselves to make some sort of statement, my law school said nothing. And they continued to say nothing until protests were held in the city. Now, very importantly, during some of these protests, things got violent. I want to note, just because I saw the violence firsthand while I was protesting peacefully, that I literally watched outside self-proclaimed anarchists, but to this day, I still don't know who they are, come in, blow up a cop car, set the cop car on fire, and then the terrifying experience of watching... um, police officers come out of these SWAT trucks where they had been hiding. My friends and I that I also went to law school with um, were able to go around and get away. But some of my friends that were still in the crowd were gassed. People were threatened to be arrested. But I mean, you know what happened in the summer of 2020. Only after that moment did my law school put out a statement saying that no property had been harmed with a very little thing at the bottom saying prayers for George Floyd because this was a deeply religious institution. So that sort of sets the tone for how the school wanted to handle things. Um, The school then tried to haphazardly put together a diversity community or a diversity panel that was basically shepherded by the one openly liberal professor, um, the one black professor who I want to note she did resign at the end of my third year or just declined to come back because of everything that she had dealt with. And I think a gay professor. And then a bunch of minority students from all three class years and some minority alumni were recruited to basically sit down with the dean of the law school. Mind you, this is a practicing accomplished attorney and the skills that you learn in law school are critical thought and research. Um, Despite what people think about the practice of law, it's really not my cousin Vinny going up and arguing. It's more so being able to quickly synthesize large pieces of complicated information, not only make them digestible to your client or your audience, but to quickly research and critically think about the circumstances that you're put in. Something that I just want to reiterate to you now, in case you aren't familiar with what a lawyer does, to understand the sheer ridiculousness of a law school dean demanding that minority students do the emotional legwork of explaining the racism that they had experienced at this institution. 
because she claimed that she didn't get it and she couldn't understand it and could someone walk her through it? Bullshit. Well, maybe there is no lesson. These are just my honest experiences that law school was more something for me to endure again because I was in a very fortunate position to get the scholarship that I did and to know that the legal education itself was very good. I do think I have strong legal writing skills that were definitely fostered by that institution. Um, I was able to make good connections and ultimately the school that I went to helped me move to my dream city. You know, this city has been quite mean to me, Philadelphia. But if I could go back in time and do it all again, no, I definitely, wouldn't attend. I probably just wouldn't apply so that I never would know that I got that scholarship. I did end up making like some lifelong friends of all races and that's not to say that all of the white people there were bad or that they were completely blind to what's going on. One thing that was really interesting was actually seeing a shift in some of my white classmates who at the beginning of our law school um, tenure had openly identified themselves as apolitical, slowly be radicalized to the left. Um, mostly because of three classmates that I have that did engage in like some openly Nazi bullshit. Oh, fuck. I don't know if I can tell the story. Okay. There was a classmate. We'll call him Z. Z was obsessed with black women um me specifically dear god why but when you eat lunch in law school it's like everyone has lunch at the same time and it's like a high school cafeteria and like once a week i did just want to eat by myself and read a really good fiction book and that's when he would come and fucking find me and sit down and be like hey alexia you look really beautiful i love your hair your skin is sparkling today like really creepy edward cullen comments and then he always wanted to study together and i was always like i'm like no thank you i kind of study best by myself if other people are around i get distracted and i need to like i'll, I'll just want to chat and i won't actually do my homework blah 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 um and then this was a man who during the black lives matter riot said he was going to go out there with a gun and kill people did he get suspended from school? No, because why would he? Where was he on January 6th? Take a guess. No, I don't know where he was because I had blocked him on every social media by that point, but definitely that type, if you get what I'm trying to say. Anyway, um, without divulging too much him and a couple of his friends actually ended up being so absurdly racist that i think it radicalized some of my other white classmates who then became very attuned to their behavior so i will say that prior like in my first year of law school there was this almost like alienation from the black students and then after because of that behavior you had a lot more people who were like oh wow this is really fucked up so some of the behavior that i described earlier in the podcast of like trying to impose posture sin imposter syndrome um a lot of the diversity workshops that white people did during black lives matter were bullshit but some credit to my classmates a lot of them actually took that seriously and so despite what was happening politically in the world i will say that racially as weird as it sounds things got slightly better after 2020 not that it still didn't put me in a position to want to leave as soon as possible. It 
got better and it got worse. Um, I really don't know if I can think of a ton of positives from the experience. I mean, and that was just on top of the fact that law school is a very grueling, demanding experience. It was hard to maintain a lot of the friendships that I had in college. It was hard to sustain any type of normal relationship because if you know, like I did date people and then I wouldn't understand why they would be like, I never see you. And in hindsight, it was like, oh, like you actually, you never saw me. Um, all of that being said, there were some very fun times. It's like that Rick and Morty episode where at the end, the Morty son is describing like, you know, my father poisoned me, but there was laughter and there was dancing realistically, I don't know if I can fit my entire law school experience into one episode, just because that's cramming three years of a very politically tumultuous time. Oh my god, and I even talk about Donald Trump trying to overthrow the government and what a... Mm. If you think my school put out a statement about that, they did not. At all. Um... Yeah, but I don't know if I can cram all three years into less than 30 minutes. I'm willing to do a part two. I guess I would have to sit down and think of some funny stories. I will say, just because people do ask, what's your advice for going to law school? Um shadow some attorneys what the legal field is represented in the media is not what the legal field is like at all how to get away with murder suits those are very dramatized idealized versions of the law most of what you will do as an attorney involves sitting in front of your computer for an absurd amount of time and writing 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 especially in the early stages of your career yes you'll have the opportunity to attend depositions yes you have the opportunity to appear in court but like the big glamorous sexy stuff like you get into that well into a decade of your career so if you're not willing to do the grunt work um if you're not willing to spend again absurd amount of time in your computer if you're not adept at research if you're not comfortable thinking quickly on your feet it's not the profession for you despite how many family members might have told you that you're good at arguing and just by the way they were telling you that because they think you're an asshole assholes actually don't get very far in the profession you have to at least pretend to be nice until you can be a partner and start to torment people that's a joke it's a joke it's a legal joke um and that's it as always and one feature that i love about spotify is that you can write in with all of your suggestions leave topics um give feedback it's very very helpful so until next week, love you. Bye.